All right, you guys feeling supercharged already? You know, we've been going through a series on spiritual warfare here at Evergreen. If you're, you're just popping in for one of the first times, you're welcome to go back and listen to those. But how many of you know that we are in a war and we are on a battlefield? And so we just have to be aware of that. We have to live with the awareness that we are on a battlefield. It doesn't mean that we have to succumb to fear. It doesn't mean that we have to to succumb to any kind of inner turmoil within us, but we actually, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, are able to have a victorious lifestyle through the blood of Jesus. And so, though though we are not unaware, we are able to be Um, ready, equipped with the full armor of the Lord upon us, and we are able to go about our days and into atmospheres and bring a shift and a change and transformation because he's done that transformation in us, and we get to bring that same victory and transformation everywhere we go. And so I love what Todd brought the last couple weeks on this topic of righteousness. He specifically was targeting the first week surrender. The second week, he kind of honed in on forgiveness, which is all kind of under this umbrella of uh, righteousness. And so this is a key in spiritual warfare to know how to live in the power of righteousness. It's a theological pillar that holds up our lives from being crushed under the pressures of the world and the warfare that's going on. And so I'm preaching today on living in the power of righteousness. Let's read together from Matthew chapter six. I'll read it for you. Sometimes there's a little confusion and you jump in reading out loud. I'll read it for you. Oh, is it not working today? Ah, shame. Okay. That's all right. I'll read it for you here without you seeing it, except you can look on your phones and Bibles. All right. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus is speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anyone feeling a little anxiety about your life? He says, don't. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. Don't worry about your body and what you put on. Some of us went down to Venice yesterday for a a, a flea market. That's an expensive flea market in Venice. I just got to say, those painter's pants from the 90s are like $120. Don't worry about what you'll put on. Don't worry. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes on after these verses and he says, look at the birds. Are they worried? No. Maybe sometimes you look at a bird, it looks a little worried. But not the birds Jesus is talking about. Worry-free birds. Look at the lilies. Those lilies are not worrying. They be chilling. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying... What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. He's saying, this is the way of the world. The way of the world is that they're concerned about these things. They're not sure how they're going to make their next bill payment. They're not sure how they're going to get their next sale. They're not sure about how they're going to look when they go to the next rooftop. They're they're concerned about the, the ways of the world. He says, don't be like the world. Don't be like the Gentiles seeking after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. 
verse 33, one of my favorite verses in scripture. But seek first, what do we seek first? The kingdom of God. That is what we are supposed to be seeking first and foremost. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, all your concerns, all your payments, where you're going to live, who you're going to be friends with, where you go in your job situation, all of these things will be added to you. You don't even have to worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all of those cares, all of that anxiety, your future spouse, whatever it might be, all of those things will be added to you. We just get to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is that first and foremost your vision as you're moving forward in life? Isn't that radical? Righteousness. Some of you might not even know what that is. It's, it's, it's the right ways of God expressed. It's the holy, blameless, clean, pure being right in God's eyes, both in character and moral, moral, morally being upright. It's reflecting our relationship with God. It's righteousness. And our focus is the righteousness of God, the redemption of God, the work of Jesus on the cross that changes everything for those that choose to believe. And so what is redemption? It seems like these are often paired together, righteousness and redemption. What's redemption? It literally means to be brought back and to be bought back to the original value. Brought back and bought back to original value as if your sins never even existed. This is earth shattering for some of you. What do you mean? To not even consider like I ever sinned? Scripture is filled with the truth that as a blood-bought son or daughter of God, your sins were completely, entirely forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far are your transgressions removed from you in Christ Jesus. You are set free from sin and death. Some of you are like, I don't feel like I'm set free from sin. Well, keep listening. And you are cleansed from all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses you from all unrighteousness. It's what purifies you. It's what empowers you. It's what gives you authority. It's what gives you victory. It's the blood of Jesus from the pure and spotless lamb, the redeemer of the world and the redeemer of your soul. And Romans 3 tells us three separate times that you are free from sin. You are free from sin. What if we actually started to believe that we are free from sin? What if we actually started to believe that? What if you could wake up in the morning and you could see yourself, you could look in the mirror, and rather than rehearsing all of your failures from the night before, you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I am a son with a white, pure, righteous robe that the Lord has put upon my body. I see you, Tommy, and I'm going to look at you with the same eyes that the Father sees you. It's through the love lens of Jesus himself. The blood love lens of Jesus makes you righteous, holy, pure. And so what we've got to do is start aligning with the truth of who God has made us in Christ. 
rather than rehearsing time and time again how much of a sinner you are, how much of a failure you are, how much you're screwed up, how much your, your past still has chains on you. What if you woke up the next morning and said, truly his mercies are new every morning? The blood of Jesus was enough for my sin. I am no longer partnering with the old nature. That's not who I am. That thing is dead. 2,000 years ago, dead on the cross. It's time to live truly alive in Christ as a righteous son and daughter with righteous, pure, spotless robes upon you. What if we actually started to believe that? What if we become so God conscious and aware of his righteousness operating in power that you're not even having to be sin conscious? Just slip on that white robe. God, you've made me so clean. Thank you. Thank you, God. It doesn't mean that when we sin, we do not turn to him. But I want to challenge you that it's an instant turning. We're going to get to this in a minute because scripture says in 1 John, if you sin, we have an advocate. What that speaks to me is that there is possibility. There's possibility of actually seeing sons and daughters walk in righteousness, to actually walk as pure, spotless, blood-bought sons and daughters that they are and seeing the manifestation of that day after day. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the advocate. Oh, we got it working. Hallelujah. Someone say, hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's personal. It's also commissioning. Personal Savior commissioning. We have a mission to tell the ends of the earth. We got a savior for your sins. We got a way to get free from sin and death. His name is Jesus. A propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? It means that he took our punishment. He, there is, there is the, the, consequence, the consequence of our sins that we should have faced, but he took it upon himself. That's propitiation. Is it possible that in our new creation identity that we are so free that sin isn't even a thing that holds on to us and we just start walking out our real God-given identity in him? Many of us question if that's even possible because we're choosing to believe our circumstances, we're choosing to believe the patterns that we have seen, and we've accepted as th that as the standard. We've accepted our history and our current circumstances as the standard rather than the truth of the theology of Jesus being the propitiation of our sins. What if we actually accepted the truth as the standard rather than our experience? What if we actually started to, to, to believe and own that Jesus really did pay for every bit of sickness and disease? You might not be seeing it yet as you pray for people. You've lowered the bar with your own experience. So we create theology out of it, don't we? Well, he must have them suffer a little longer to teach them something. They must have cancer for a reason because they've got to go through a process in their lives. Where do we see this in scripture where Jesus says, a little longer with your sickness, please. You've got some lessons to learn. We need to raise the bar to the truth of scripture. 
where Jesus says, I am the healer. By his stripes, you are healed. It's the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross that says, be healed in Jesus' name. And we can say that with confidence. And the same goes with our true identity as those who are now called saints. We somewhere along the journey have, have given this identity of being sinners in our lives, where we just have accepted it. Like, oh, well, I, I, I just keep slipping up again. You know, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And because we start to see through our experiences, we give an excuse to our sin, and we've created a theology to actually have faith that you will sin. I'm, I'm just a weak wretch, but one day Jesus will help me escape to heaven, and then I'll fully be free. We've created a theology based on our experience, and we've lowered the standard so that we can actually continue to slip by out of the light and into the darkness and give an excuse for it. Where are we in this life meant to be lifting the standard back to where it's supposed to be, to start to live in the light? Are you in the light or not? Are you going to let him into every closet of your life? Or are you gonna continue? You can come in this area, but this area, eh. That's a little painful. He is so good. He is so filled with grace and he is light. Will you open up and let the light in? The light is healing. The light is freeing. The light knows what you need more than you know what you need. It's the grace of God in operation in our lives. This is the new standard. First John says, if you sin, this is not an excuse to continue to sin. This is not an excuse to continue to ignore it. This is not cheap grace. This is not sloppy grace. It's not like, I know that I'm forgiven, so I'm just gonna run amok. I'm gonna, I felt old saying that. <laughs> run amok, 1950, all right. <laughs> it's sloppy grace. It, people actually will be like, well, I know God will forgive me, so I'm just going to live this way. I'm going to continue to sleep around. I'm going to continue to do whatever I want, but I'm forgiven, right? Sloppy grace. That's not what we're called to. We are called to a higher standard of holiness, but we're going to get to this in a minute, that that obedience is actually a love affair kind of obedience. And so you're actually moved in your heart. It always, always, beginning, middle, end, love. Love. It's always been about a love relationship. But somewhere in that journey, if you've decided to have a little sloppy grace, you don't, you're not in that love relationship with the Lord right now. Because you would be, you'd be wanting to honor him with your lifestyle. You would be wanting to not grieve the Holy Spirit or quench him with your lifestyle. You want to live in a place where the plumb line of heaven aligns to your life and you start walking in the righteousness that he paid for, the power of righteousness that he paid for in your life. It's a holy kind of love affair, kind of, kind of conviction that he does in our lives. And when I live in this place of righteousness, then I'm truly seeing the fruit of holiness in my life. When you're walking in righteousness, you just start to bear fruit of holiness in your life. All of a sudden, I'm seeing holy conduct in my life without even trying hard to be holy. 
And all glory continues to go back to the Lord as we just live by his grace because he deserves all the glory. It's his empowerment. It's his spirit alive within us that gives us that empowerment to walk in righteousness and holiness. In my own life, I, I became a believer at a young age. I wasn't even four years old yet. And I was sitting in a little old Honda Civic at the mall parking lot in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I was talking about like different people that we knew at church. And I was like, is this person going to heaven? My mom's like, I don't think so, honey. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's sad. How about this person? I don't know. I was a curious little cat. And I was just like, but I had learned in my little preschool class that we could be Jesus's little lambs. Do you know that that's the, some of you might be 90 years old in here. All you need to hear is you could be Jesus's little lamb and today could be your day because he's, he's the good shepherd. And it's, it's giving yourself to him, to follow him, to be his. And so at that age, I said, I want to be Jesus's little lamb. It's really manly. <laughs> Jesus' little lamb. You want to be Jesus' little lamb? <laughs> well, you can be. You can. All right. Circle back. So I love the Lord at a young age. Eight, nine years old, I was at a missions conference. The Lord, I didn't even expect it. A movement in my gut pulled me to the front of the room. And it was like a well was undone within me and a crash of a waterfall moving me to tears, weeping before the Lord where he was calling me into full-time missions. Wow. Eight, nine years old. And I, from that moment, I've never questioned if there's any other path for my life. I'm not saying that's how God always works in people's lives with those kind of encounters, but we love it when he does because it marks you. So I'd been marked at a young age. By age 11 or 12, um, I was going with my parents on weekends. We were hungry for the Lord. I had encounters where I would fall and cry and laugh, and it, it was the movement of the Spirit in all the ways that he chooses to show up. And I knew, and I knew, and I knew that God was real and active and moving in my life. And, and it made that imprint that, that literally changes you forever. But then I started going into, you know, late middle school, high school, and I, it just, my faith kind of got watered down. I still love the Lord. I think probably a lot of you can relate to this kind of faith where you, you know God, you love him. You might even like... Uh, have a friend that you're talking with and all of a sudden they're asking about Jesus and something just, 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 just like arises within you and you're like, I know this, I know this. And there's that confidence. But like the day to day, you're just kind of like, eh, we're a little watered down. We're just getting through the motions. We're waiting for summer break. We're... So that was part of my life at that time. Um, I still love the Lord. I went off to Bible school in Chicago. And during that time is when the Lord really just honestly just uh, arrested my life by the Spirit of God. And, and I, I know that that filling and fire of the Holy Spirit is what transformed me into a place of just being someone that has a passionate erupting with the love of God in my life. And, and what was so key in this journey and relationship with God was the discovery of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I was able to discover that when I got into a place of worship or when I got into a place of Bible study, I didn't have to go through all these ritual kind of cleansings. I didn't have to like, 
let me do a few Hail Marys here and let me do a few washings here and let me feel guilt for about five days. And then maybe by like week two, if I've been living good, then I can really experience his love and his presence. That, that was false. That is horrible theology. Because scripture tells us, enter and approach his throne boldly. It's the throne of grace. It's his mercy moving in our lives. And so as I discovered the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I was able to say, okay, I don't, I don't feel perfect. My feelings might be all over the place, but I'm choosing to come into your love. And I got to experience wave after wave of his grace and his love and his mercy in my life that brought that true transformation that continues to pull me in deeper and deeper to the place of his love. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, say it with me, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you are in Christ, you are a completely new creation. The new is not old. That is really profound, I realize. If you get anything today, the new is not, what did you learn at church? The new is not old. Very good, sticker. You're a little lamb. The new is not old. The new is not old. The old has passed away. Someone wave goodbye to the old. Come on, participation. Goodbye to the old. Thank you. I told you you're a youth group. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, old. Goodbye. New creation. We're very interactive today. Okay. There's a lot of confusion in the church when it comes to new life in Christ. We've lowered the standard of salvation to the goal of knowing Jesus just being what happens to us when we die. But the whole point of new life is completely transformed life in him. The whole powerful imagery of being baptized is that your old life, your old life has to die with Jesus, crucified to the cross. And you're going to come out into new life with him, for him, through him, in order to really, truly live. You have to die to truly live. And I gotta tell you, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. But often we don't preach that way. And I mean, I've been to a lot of youth groups. We're going back to a lot of youth groups here. What do they say? If you die tonight, you don't know where you're going to go. Pray this prayer with me. And it has nothing to do with dying to live. It has to do with, hey, I got you fire insurance before you die. No, the message has always been, go ahead and die first, because you cannot live until you die. Why don't we actually tell people the truth? You've been living for yourself. You were not created for you. You've been blaming everyone else around you, and you think everyone else is the problem. But every day you've been living for yourself. So you're always living at the expense of others and you need others, but they are always going to fail you. How about right now that you die to that thing and decide that living for yourself and, and saying, I'm gonna die to this thing and give my life to him. Cause God wants to come in and he wants to change everything in your life. That is the simple gospel, isn't it? And Jesus says in Matthew 16, Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, 
If you want to come after God, if you want to know the Father, you want to know the Spirit, you want to know Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's first on the list. And why is it so important? Because you were never made for you. You were never made for you. You were made for his glory. You were made for his image. You were made for his likeness to be transformed and to look like Jesus on the face of the earth and to extend the kingdom of God. The priority of God isn't just for us to pray and get through life and then finally go to heaven. He has been wanting us to know him intimately. He has been wanting us to know him so that he can transform our lives forever. And when you know him, you get, begin to see that this relationship with truth itself really is what makes you free. It says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. John 8, 36. 8, 36. Yeah. The goal, what's the goal? It's to know him. The goal is to know him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you want to know what your purpose is, the chief end of man, to know God and to enjoy him forever. The goal is to know him. Knowing him is what transforms your life. Knowing him isn't just a prayer that you pray that gets you to heaven. Knowing him is a relationship that we have with the eternal one. And his love will never fail. He will never change his mind about you. When you're in, you're in. When you're washed, you're washed. When you're accepted, you are accepted. And that's the starting point. And we stay there and we remain in his love and we live there in his love. This is really important. And it's all about dying so that you can truly live. You died and your life is hidden in Christ. Your old man was buried, buried, left in the grave. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We did not pray a prayer to get to heaven. It was so that the life of God would come into me and I could finally find and live in my true purpose. My motivation wasn't just, just that I get to go to heaven, though thank God we have eternity in heaven, right? Thank God we have that eternal hope. But, but the goal was I want to know the one who is eternal. I want to know a God who made me and loves me and died for me. I want to know this God that can fill my life and change everything. I want to know this God that says he's that good. And so here we have our Jesus who redeemed our lives and with him we will live forever. It's part of the package that was always meant to be part of the package. So we have to let transform life be the prize. Let's let walking by the Spirit be the prize. Let's let the fact that the Spirit of God will live in me and through me be the prize. Crack it open, let's go. I heard that. It's gotta be a Diet Coke over there, isn't it? I knew it. He's waiting for my strategic pause that whole time. Let it land. All right, I felt it. 
I felt it. As refreshing as a sparkling soda. If you want to have a healthy identity, if you want that healthy identity, which I know that we want, you know, not all of, not all of us grew up in family households where we got what we needed. Not all of us had that stability and the consistency and the affirmation and the relationship and the guidance and all the things that we hope to have in a family unit. But maybe most of us here didn't have all of those things. And a lot of us were missing these elements that we actually vitally needed for our identity. Our identity then, if we didn't have that, we are, are frantically trying to search where to place our identity. And so we, where did we get it? By the painting of life unfolding. And either you became this tough, calloused individual, just hard, I'm not gonna let people hurt me again. Or maybe over and over you're hurt and you just remain that victim. Opposite sides of the spectrum or somewhere in the middle. But either way, how we respond to what we think our identity is in those different elements is not the real you. And this whole thing is, is our identity by the world standards starts to shape us and mold us. This is your personality test. This is who you are. This is where you went to school. This is your career path. This is how beautiful you are. This is how many followers you have. The world has its standards of what it wants to shape you as, and you get your identity and your needs met through popularity, through relationships, through career paths, through where you've been, through what you're doing. I'm interesting, right? That's how the world looks at it. But, but here's the deal. That's not what we were made for. That is not the great potter. We have a God, a father. It is the father's role to speak affirmation and identity over you. And he is the one, the father is the one that is called the great potter of your life. Can we just be moldable, shapeable, yielded to the hands of a good father? We try so hard to control things, don't we? But all we have to do is let go, surrender, yield once again, remain with a soft heart. And he says, thank you. I can, I can touch you in a way that shapes you and molds you and makes you how you were meant to be. This is who you truly are. This is life in Christ. When we're born again, we are invited into a total, absolute change. This total, absolute change is what we are called to, and we cannot possibly change ourselves. But we have to be willing to. And this is why we are constantly preaching over and over again, relationship, the secret place, go spend time with him. It's not just about a sermon filling you up once a week. Like your growth will be like little sugar cubes, like just small stacks. But imagine, <laughs> I know this was divine wisdom, just outpouring. <laughs> That's the best I got, sugar cubes. <laughs> Sunday sugar cube for you. If you want to build and grow rapid fire in your life, this is meant to be breath by breath, moment by moment, day by day, both with the intentional secret place times and also when you're going about your life and you're in aisle six and you're picking out your, your new favorite oatmeal and you're having a conversation with the Lord and he's speaking to you and he's speaking identity over you and, and, and you're able to receive his love in the middle of aisle six because you're just going about your day and you have a relationship with the living God. That's a lot of sugar cubes. See, it paid off. Just, all right, <laughs> sugar cubes. But it's leaning into a lifestyle of conversational prayer. Thanking God for being the one that's with you. He's with you at your desk. What if you just paused in the middle of your emails? <sighs> 10 seconds of just honoring the presence of God. 
just 10 seconds here. You're with me, God. Emmanuel, right here. We're at church. We're not just wanting to talk about him. We're not just singing about him. We want to interact with him. His spirit's here. Are we able to just pause in his presence? Just experience the God who's here with us, the invisible God who's more real than our very breath. It's this challenge of relationship, secret place, spending time with him, giving your heart fully to him. So often, rather than conversational prayer, we have our, we have our checklist items, don't we? We have our frustrations, we have our preferences, which I wanna say those, those are so good to bring to the Lord as well, right? But what if your preferences can actually become an idolatry? Your preferences become so focused in your prayer life that it has nothing to do with your purpose and what you're called to. We're not here just to have a better day with our circumstances. We are here to arise and to shine. Let me repeat that. We are not just here to improve your circumstances. We are here to build a people that know how to arise and shine for our light has come. There's a trap, there's a trap on the earth today. It seems to me like 90% of messages now either are so sin-focused way over here or way over here, they're just all about candy and empowerment, more blessing, more ways to see breakthrough, whatever it is. And we're just giving people what they want to hear because people have been programmed to see their circumstances improve. That's what they want. So they want a little goose bump and they want to feel better for a few moments. Then they go and trip and stumble about their week again, waiting for the next time that they can gather together for another good feeling. But we want to see true transformation take place. There's a whole lot of people wondering where God's been and hoping he makes their circumstances different. But if we understand that we're here to arise and shine, our circumstances will not be what holds us captive. And even though they are very real and important, you're going to have to walk through them, but we get to walk through them with Jesus. And even if the circumstances never do change, the truth is that he's here with us. The truth is that Paul and Silas were in the prison cell chained to a wall in the middle of the night, probably cold, hungry, beaten, and they're singing out their hallelujah before the Lord because they knew that their faith was not dependent on their circumstances. They knew that they were living for something greater, a greater purpose, a greater intentionality. Something was alive within them. It was called the Spirit of God. In the midst of it, will you arise and shine? and show people what it looks like to be in a storm, but to look and live like Jesus. Conviction. Every day, Jesus is pursuing us. A holy conviction. What would it be like if, if you were a person where you just turned off the conviction? That's gonna move you rapidly into a really dark place, isn't it? Conviction off. I'm going to do whatever I please and not even feel bad about it. You would just walk off into darkness and feel completely lost, living however you wanted. Life would feel completely self-consumed and meaningless. But in his love, he keeps that conviction on. It's like a gentle calling near, isn't it? It's a gentle calling near. Hey, hey, son, I see you. I'm here. I see you. I'm here. It's that gentle calling, pursuing, wooing of your heart again.
son, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. It can be different than that. And it's a nonstop kind of pursuing of the Lord. Has anyone had that conviction of the Lord where it just, it feels it's continuously after you. It won't leave you. It's actually absolutely amazing. It might be a little annoying, but it's very absolutely amazing and worth it all. It's the conviction of his love that's calling us to health and the best for our lives. And in our relationship with the Lord, there's no place for secrets. There's no closets. There's no hidden agendas. It's when we are so consumed in our relationship and love for God that we freely, willingly want him to have all of you. It's not trying to get away with the little foxes that we allow to run around, the little areas of compromise. You actually believe it and say, God, here I am. Take it all. Take it all. I want to be walking in the fullness of my freedom to experience the radiance of your light in every area. Shine in that place too. Would you shine in that place too? It's no longer living in secrets. It's no nonsense. We just want God. We want to burn for the kingdom to cover the earth. We want more. We want more of God. We want to see more lives transformed. We want to see the kingdom cover the face of this earth. And, and when you start to get consumed by the, the, the love of God, then we say we, we want to go into all the earth. Maybe I'll, I'll get a missions trip ready. I want to see the Lord cover the Dominican Republic. So I'm going to get a team. I feel led. Let's go. And you start living radically because you're not living for yourself. And you're not looking at your finances and, and anxious about it. You're saying, this life is not my own. The Lord, I believe, is calling me to this. I'm making a faith risk. And I'm going to see the Lord move in power. This is a different way of living. It's possible to live without the closets, without the hidden, hidden secrets. And when you do that, when you do that, your conscience remains clear. It's not just because you're really good and disciplined. It's because you know him. You know him and you love him. And when you love him, you obey him. It's not like if you, if you love me, you're going to obey me. It's not this like punishing God. He's not a stone statue that's, that's ready to punish you. It's saying, if you love me, if you've discovered my love for you, the one that loved you first, if you've discovered my goodness, if you love me, will you obey me? This is the tone of the heartbeat of heaven. Obedience is the simple response to knowing him and loving him, knowing his love deeply and gladly wanting to obey him. You're not trying so hard to obey. There's going to be moments where you've got to be disciplined, but you're not trying so hard. It's an overflow of the love that you've experienced with God. You obey because you love. It's got to be so simple. We've got to let him love us. We have got to let him love us. If, if you've got a mess in your life and you don't know how to get out of the spirals and the hamster wheels, get into the place of the revelation of his love. Get into the place of the encounter of his love. Get to the place where you can see, oh man, he says I can approach the throne boldly and I can experience more of his love because that's what changes. That relationship changes you in that place of love. And that's where obedience and empowerment starts to take place, where you start to look more and more like your Savior. You've got to let him love you. Got to let him love you. I'm going to save the, the tail end of this, maybe for another time. But would you guys actually stand up with me?
Would you close your eyes and pray this with me? God, we are so hungry for your love. We know that it's your love that transforms. It's your love that shapes us and molds us. And God, we're so thankful for the power, the power that comes through redemption. The power of the blood of Jesus that washes us and empowers us to true transformation, to walk in holiness, to be blameless, to have robes of righteousness upon us. And I wanna read this from Romans 5, verses eight through 11 over you. And let the spirit of God move into your very core. And Holy Spirit, as I read this, would you move in power of a living encounter of the love of Jesus that rests and remains and instills and shifts and comes like a power and a light within us. So Paul writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit says in Romans 5 verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Would you go ahead and put your hands on your heart? I thank you, God, right now by your spirit, would you start to instill within individuals what their true identity is. Remind us of our calling. Maybe we've never heard our true calling before, God. We thank you that even today, there, there is a hallmark moment of speaking the new life of Jesus into our lives where we can actually see clearly, where we can encounter your love, where we can be motiva motivated and compelled by love into true purpose in our lives. And so some of us felt a bit of even that holy conviction this morning. And we take that burden, those cares, those decisions, our shortcomings, our sin, whatever it might be, we give to you and lay at the foot of the cross, even right now, God. And we thank you for your new mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that if we sin, we have an advocate named Jesus that is here to take it upon himself and say, you have been forgiven. You have been cleansed. You have been bought with the blood and you are righteous. He declares over you not guilty. Shame, condemnation, get out of our lives. You have no place here but we turn up the volume of the heartbeat of our Father that speaks the truth about who we are, that speaks loving affirmation, that is our place of home. And so we're grateful, God, we're grateful. Where would we be without you? Where would we be without you, God? But we have you and we're so grateful.
We're so grateful. Take us by the hand and lead us on, God. Take us by the hand and lead us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.